you're not a victim. You're doing it. And when you're ready to wake up, you're going to wake up. Hello and welcome to the Humble You Podcast, where we talk all things mind, body, and life. And this podcast features a conversation with growth catalyst, Sarah Norick. She is here to share her personal story of becoming a coach for seekers and soulpreneurs. What a beautiful word. And Sarah, we've been connected for almost a year now. You know, right when I started out on Instagram, you're one of the first accounts I connected with. We've really connected material-wise. We speak about the same stuff, you know. And, and although I'm not into Buddhism, I've never really studied it. A lot of the things that I speak on, a lot of the things that, um, you know, the, the material that I speak about, especially with Jung, uh, speaks directly to that Eastern philosophy. And I know that you've studied it. You have a lot of uh, information on it. I'm sure we'll get into that, a lot about your story. So, hey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joseph. So wonderful to be here. And uh, yeah, I remember even, I think at, almost at this time last year, sitting down and watching one of your, your shows and I was by the beach and thinking, oh, what a cool guy. <laughs> <laughs> cool guy. Well, uh, you know, it's been an interesting story on my sense of going through uh, life and, and I'm excited to get your story out there. You know, a lot of people know you, uh, especially from my page. So this should be a great interview. Before we get to all the goodies that you've came to, I'd like to start off in the beginning. That's where everything starts. So what was your childhood like? If you could bring us up to speed uh, with your childhood. Totally. Uh, well, you know, uh, I was born in a very small town. So I was actually born in a, it wasn't even a town. Um, it was uh, Wasp Lake, BC. So in the Nimkish Valley. So just between these gorgeous mountains and a beautiful lake. And uh, it was um, a logging community. So my father worked for a telecommunications company. Um, so I grew up in the wilds, you know, in the wilderness. And for, for the first formative years of my life. So that was only for the first three years of my life. And then, and then we moved down to uh, Victoria. But I think those first formative years really, um, really set something inside of me. Um, mm. Set this really strong connection to nature. Um, and in that way, I believe spirit, because I think spirit is so imbued in nature. And when you really spend time out in rural places and you really sit with them, you know, they start to speak to you. So I, I, I feel like I started to develop um, that kind of spiritual conversation with the divine very young through nature. Mm. Mm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, moving to Victoria and... Um, going through, like our family went through changes. My um, parents got divorced when I was young and I think that was pretty formative, um, living mostly with my mom then and uh, very like highly sensitive child. Mm. I guess that's, I would say that that was um, part of my experience of growth was learning how to deal with being a highly sensitive person. Would you say when you're saying highly sensitive, real quickly, not to cut you off, but are you saying more of that sort of empath type, where where you're really feeling people's emotions, you're really, um, or or is it sensitive as in you were expressive of your of your own emotions? Yeah, good question. So, 
Um, I'm using the term highly sensitive as far as a person that feels a lot of things and doesn't have as many filters. Okay. So more kind of a highly sensitive nervous system, I would say. Yeah. So, um, which, which then creates an empath um, too. So feeling all the things, right? Feeling the divorce, you know, feeling my mom's sadness, feeling the loss of my father in that way at home and then going into school and feeling all the people mm. and you know, and not knowing how to still feel myself amongst that. So I started to get kind of like psychosomatic kind of symptoms, very, very, um, very young. I started to get these really bad stomach aches Ooh. and I would end up in the, in the sick room for long periods of time. And I had a pretty cool doctor, you know, even as a kid um, who they ran tests and things like that. And she eventually just said, it's, it's stress. Um, so I feel like I, from an early age was opened up to, to the knowledge that, you know, stress causes the symptoms in the body so that our mind and body were connected yeah. and that, I could sense the energy of other people and that that affected my own body. Mm. So, um, so that was kind of an interesting experience in childhood. And then I also had very formative spiritual experiences in childhood. Um, I had a near death experience when I was five and I don't know if you've dived into research on near death experiences at all, or had one yourself. I've never had one myself, but I've, I've, well, you know what, to be honest with you, I'm a type one diabetic. So sometimes when my sugars drop, you know, um, it's near death. So it's not as close as some of the research gets, but I see a little bit of that whiteness that they speak on some of the, uh, you know, the little, the little features I've, I've never experienced again, the full grasp of it, but yeah. Yeah. If you want to share though, that'd be great. Cause I'm sure some people are interested. So when I was five, I was at a lake <clears throat> with a girlfriend and we were climbing on some, some rocks right by the lake and my mom was on the shore and uh, my girlfriend couldn't swim, but I was a pretty strong swimmer. I'd taken swimming lessons all my life or, you know, up until five and um, she fell in and she started drowning and um, she couldn't get get out of the water. Right? I couldn't get her head out of the water and was struggling. Mm. So I jumped in to try to support her, you know, at that age, not knowing that she would just hold me under. Um, Cause she was panicking. So, mm. I mean, that's something you learn later on in swimming lessons that you're not supposed to save somebody who's panicking cause they will hold you under. Yeah. Um, so she just held me under um, and I couldn't get breath. Um, and there was this struggle, experience of struggle and fighting, you know, the lack of oxygen. And then, um, you know, and then it just all became very, very calm. And the struggle stopped. And just like they talk about, I saw this bright light, this white light, and I just started to leave and just rise up. It was a very beautiful experience, yeah. you know, not painful, not scary, um, very beautiful. Uh, and then as I rose up, I could look down and see, see myself, you know, see, see my friend holding me under, see the experience, but I wasn't 
charged by it or upset about it. It was just what was happening. And I was just moving towards the light. Um, Obviously, I didn't go (laughs) totally into towards the light because I I then kind of came back and woke up. A woman had dived in to save us. And I woke up spluttering on the um, the sea, the lake shore. And that was, yeah, a pretty interesting experience that I didn't totally grasp at that time. Like it stuck with me. Yeah. I think I probably told my mom about it, but I didn't tell that many people. I didn't realize that it was a near death experience. I just, yeah, you know, went through something very intense and different. And it took me, you know, until I was grown up an adult and started to do my own research around Kundalini and mystical experiences and how near death experiences can actually start the awakening of Kundalini energy in the body. So, which I had begun to experience as an adult, the um, experience of more Kundalini energy, Mm. which Young talks about um, in some of Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You, you, I'm all excited right now. I'm holding my breath so I don't cut you off because I have so many questions, but let's start with this, this, this experience since we're on it. Cause it's very, yeah. very, uh, you know, it's, it's, it reminds me of trauma, you know, I'm sure like the way you were describing it, you didn't want to tell many people about it. It was like the secret thing and it really stuck with you. You know, that just reminds me of, 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 a, of a trauma and it has to be, I mean, you know, it's a near death experience, you know? Um, so uh, with that also, um, there is a positive with it. And I think that you may have noticed it when you, you know, when, when you came to it later on was in that moment, you, you, you got a different sense of death. There's a lot of people that are scared to die. So they never truly live. And I'm wondering if this connects with you in that experience. Uh, yeah, it definitely took, it took the fear. It, I guess just even saying, you know, it wasn't a scary experience. Mm-hmm. There was no pain involved. Like there was the struggle before going towards the light. But when that process started, it was so peaceful. Mm. It was so beautiful. I liken it to like, I remember um, I had my adenoids taken, I believe, uh, years later. And they gave me, I think, Percocet, I think was the drug. And it was like a similar feeling of just maybe because I had already had that experience, that wasn't really a scary, as scary a thing for me. I think we are all all kind of driven by um, the desire to not die Mm -hmm. to some extent, or the fear of death. I think it drives a lot of our pushing and fears and striving um, Mm -hmm. and desire to control. Um, But having that experience early on, did kind of gift me with this little bit of, I would say a cushion around death. And then knowing that it wasn't scary when it got to that point. Yeah, yeah, wow. And it's kind of interesting that you use the word trauma because I've never thought of that experience as a traumatic experience. Which when, you know, when you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, of course it was. I didn't have any control, you know? Death was eminent. <laughs> so yes, you know, it would be a classic <laughs> traumatizing experience. Um, but I think the beauty of the going towards the light um, overshadowed, overtook 
the the fear. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it, what you're speaking on. I love that you said, you know, everything just was. There was no judgments. You weren't in pain. There was no fear. There was it just was. And that's really that state that people are aiming for in meditation that, that are aiming for even in life is to get from their subjective consciousness and expand it out, <clears throat> excuse me, towards the objective. And, you know, that that's an experience where you can really, truly feel that bliss. I, I, I can't describe it because I never had, you know, that moment, but I guess bliss or, you know, something in that realm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of interesting that you pointed to that because I remember my intention when I started <clears throat> studying meditation in high school was um, to, my goal was to get to a point where I, where I could release judgment. Um, and that was, you know, I had all these funny goals that you normally young people, I think, wouldn't have. <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of looked back on it. I was like, wow, that was a lofty goal. <laughs> Still working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's, and listen, we're laughing about it, but that's why we started childhood because it's so weird. That's what keeps me so spiritual. There's something about it. You know, we're like, we're, we're given something and provided these weird experiences like traumas that could be so dark, but then they end up, um, you know, so bright sometimes. And it's just, it is so weird, you know, like, where's all that coming from when you, when you're, you're such a young child with these, with these goals and, and even that connection with nature, I really think that primed you um, because I took that trip uh, about a month ago now, or a few weeks ago, at least. Um, and when I went to New York and, and, and really got away, I haven't done it for a while. And, you know, it just was, it was unbelievable that, that connection and, and you really can't describe it unless you actually live in it and truly get away. You know, that means no phones and, and, and all that. It really means just truly being in that, in that moment. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to, to break free from this society that we've all now grew accustomed to, you know, always connected, always. And it, it, you wake up in the morning, sometimes you see yourself before you've been thinking, reaching for the phone. And you got to just check yourself and, and maybe even take those trips sometimes to reconnect with nature because it's so powerful. You could see, you know, that connection that you had um, when you were young. I've noticed it and so many people talk about it, um, but it's a part of life that seems to be forgotten in this modern technological new age. Uh, so, so yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. The last thing I want to talk about was schooling for you. Um, you know, you seemed a bit introverted. You, you had an upbringing, you're connected with nature, you had the spirituality with you, you know, and then you go into school and that's like yeah, the devil's den, we'll call it. Um, so what was it like for you going into schooling, maybe a little bit more introverted, sensitive? Um, how was that experience? Well, I had an amazing time in elementary school. Um, It was my mom chose an alternative uh, school for us. So my brother and I, I have an older brother. um, And that was probably, you know, such a great decision on her part because the, it was a small school. It was about a hundred people. And all of the classes were called families. So it was kind of a, a hippie, I would say it was an alternative school that was developed in the 70s with a lot of hippie principles. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of, you know, has some Waldorf qualities to it. I don't know if anybody knows about what that is, but um, very self-led, very, the students were very encouraged to follow their own dreams and talents and mm-hmm. choices 
personal choice was um, the primary kind of mm, teaching in that school. So you actually developed your own curriculum. Wow. Legit. Like we had these, we had calendars that where we would make our own curriculum and our own study blocks and choose what we put in those study blocks. I love it. The individual. So if you wanted to be outside all the time, you could, we called it out. You could be out every single block if you wanted to. There was no pressure around what you chose to do. It was a completely self-directed. I love it. So yeah, it, I mean, I think it was an experiment that worked for worked for me. Okay. Because um, I've always been really self-directed and disciplined. Yeah. Um, so it didn't work as well for my brother. He <laughs> will be the first to admit that. Um, but maybe it did because he just did out all the time. So he was just outside playing. And so maybe that was actually perfect for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so elementary school was awesome. I had, you know, wonderful connections with friends, very alternative parents too, right? Because it was an alternative school. So a lot of very spiritual parents, a lot of people who had studied, um, you know, alternative ways of living, alternative ways of thinking. Um, So that was my, you know, another formative uh, influence for me, shall we say. And I'm still friends with some people that I went to that school with. And, um, you know, they're all amazing people. And one of my, you know, I kind of got onto a more, it was helpful for me to open up to um, my spiritual path even more because we would do, we had women's rites of passage at that age. And we would, we went on another kind of nature retreat where we went out into nature and we did a sweat lodge. And that's where I had my, my first, um, you know, experience with my spirit animal. Wow. And then we were left in the woods for a certain amount of time to have an experience. And I, oh, on that particular part of the uh, retreat, I was just sitting in the woods and I said, I want to see something like amazing right now. And I was just sitting and I guess I was meditating. I didn't really know that word at the time. And I was staring at this log that crossed this river. And all of a sudden the log broke in half. And that was my, I I had asked, I had said, I want to see something amazing happen right now. And the log just broke in half. And that was another example for me of, oh my gosh, like things are happening around me that I can't see. And I'm connected to something greater and possibly it's listening. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of another opening for myself into what, what, what is going on here? What's really going on here? Yeah. You know, mm. It's not just these people living in cities, going to school and work. There's something, there's something bigger happening that we can touch into. Um, and then I had a wonderful friend um, who uh, died actually when she was 18 but I believe she was, you know, a really strong spirit um, meant to be here for a short period of time. And um, her mother was a, um, uh, a witch in town. And so I was really introduced to a lot of ceremony mm. and um, 
kind of the pagan kind of earth worship of seasons and connecting to nature in that way. And so that was, you know, around, I think age like seven, eight, nine. Wow. That's young. Yeah. And she kind of took us under her wing and into her, she would teach classes of like how to connect with the spirit world and how Mm. to use crystals to heal and how to make, you know, potions out of, flowers basically, right? Like herbal remedies and things like that. Um, So opening up to the spirit world then at that age um, was quite impactful and scary. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what keeps you away from, 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 I guess, connecting or learning more is that fear. A little bit, yeah. I definitely shut the door early. I was like, oh, this is no, Mm-mm. you know, like I'm starting to see spirits and things and I don't want this. I don't want this. This is too much. Are you actually seeing spirits? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've talked to a lot of people and no one's ever said that before. Um, Everyone's always kind of felt it or heard it, and you know I'm somebody that's that's listen. I'll I'll, I'll I'm up for anything. Um, you know, some nights I'll say, hey, you know, reveal if you need to reveal, I'm ready to go. Um, I haven't seen. I felt things. I've always felt things. Um, you know, uh, but, but but haven't seen. So when you said seen, is it? Um, is it, 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 it? Maybe I shouldn't even push you because that sounds personal. Maybe it's like a personal thing I shouldn't even push. Well, I can share one experience with yeah, you. Yeah, okay, okay. I've told some other people about this. <clears throat> um, yeah, who don't believe me, but that's fine. <laughs> 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 so we also um, lived beside a graveyard, which I don't know if this has anything to do with it. Mm. Like right beside, like our backyard backed onto the graveyard. Um, like I said, might not have anything to do with this experience at all. But um, when I was a child and I was probably about, yeah, I'm not sure. I think I was about five. And um, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was this glowing, glowing being right beside me. Mm. And um, it was just like a woman of light. And, you know, I I was very scared. Um, And the being didn't do anything. It just stood there. And, you know, this experience is not super interesting. The being just stood there. And then I um, pulled the blankets over my head and I just... (laughs) I really needed this to go away. I, I just remember, I'm okay, I'm going to pull the blankets over my head and it's going to be gone. And then I fell asleep. And then in the morning, you know, she was gone. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've sat with that experience for, for years before I even told anybody um, because I couldn't, like, what was that? Was I dreaming? Was it, you know? Um, but it's so, it's so vivid. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I do have powerful dream experiences, but I'm aware that they're a dream. This was entirely different. 
So yeah. So maybe it was my guardian angel. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you know, just to hear you're contemplating for all those years, you, you, you can't just say, Oh, she made it up. I mean, it's just, it's it stuck with you. There's, there's a true experience and people have these experiences and, you know, people are trying to say, oh, that's not reality. Oh, they're dreaming. Oh, this or that. But what makes you the judgment? I mean, this world is so expansive and, and dynamic. And for anyone to make any judgments, um, you know, even myself is is a little bit, uh, you, you can be laughed at in a sense um, by the creator or whatever, you know, by, by the universe. It would laugh at you because it's so, so, so massive. So, um, you know, I love that um, you shared that little personal story with us. So thank you for that. Um, and it was a light, you said, right? It was like a light being. So yeah. a very, very tall. I mean, at that age, it looked, she looked very tall. Um, and just glowing. Mm. Yeah. So let's get out of schooling and childhood and start to head on into, you know, your journey, um, more of like a, a journey of awakening. What was that like? Because you can see you're already slowly opening. You know, a lot of people closed up their whole lives. They have traumas, they're scared in schooling and they just get stuck. Um, but you, you could see you, your seed was opening. Um, mm -hmm. Did you have any setbacks and then something kind of catapult you uh, towards towards growth? Or, you know, what was that process like heading out of school into the, the you that you are today? <sighs> well, yeah, I think, you know, when I did start to kind of... Uh, study paganism more and open up to, to spirits in mm. elementary school that I did shut the door because there, there did start to become more and more mm, scary experiences that felt too much for me. Mm. So I definitely um, closed the door on that um, just before leaving or yeah, just before leaving elementary school. But um, like I said, I was having those physical experiences that were challenging for me, like stomach aches and some illness. And um, so, and then I developed an eating disorder, mm. um, which, you know, probably many reasons, you know, dealing, not knowing how to deal with all of the uh, stimulus that I was experiencing. I would say that was probably the major reason uh, for developing it. Just a method to kind of numb out um, and control my experience or feel like I was controlling my experience of being um, very aware and open, which felt like a lot at times. Um, there was, a, you know, because lots of people talk about, you know, just the amount of joy and happiness you feel is also the amount of sadness and grief you feel. So I actually had a lot of grief and a lot of sadness from an early age. Mm. And that it didn't seem like that was okay in our society, right? Like, especially, you know, what, what does a kid have anything to be sad about? You know, you're trying to develop yourself in high school and then post high school and then, you know, in further education and in jobs. And um, it took me a lot of years to, to work with that piece mm. of, you know, grief and sadness. And so I believe at an early age, that was how I worked with it, was developing an eating disorder. And then that also became a means for my own 
deeper growth as well, because now I had to heal this, this, you know, illness, this yeah. disorder. Um, so through, you know, healing that, I started to see counselors and therapists at a really early age to try to work with that. Um, which I do think was, was helpful for my development of um, kind of, you know, personal growth and personal work. And then also the fact that the eating disorder did not go away. It was about 10 years that I worked on healing it, um, which was also a really amazing teacher in the fact that things take time sometimes, not for everyone. I know people who have, you know, gone through and healed things really quickly, right? I see it happen with clients. I've seen it happen in people that are friends. I'm a slow healer. <laughs> I'm a slow <laughs> learner. You're playing the long game. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't do anything like, you know, even when we jumped on our call and you're like, you're, you're just like at this speed. And it's like, that's the speed that I go. Like that, you know, for most things. So... <laughs> It took me a long time to work with it, but, but through the length of time that took me working at it and dedicating, coming back and back and back again, I learned, you know, incredible amount of courage and um, stubbornness and patience. And just to see that, you know, even if you can't work through something within, you know, a week, a month, a year, five years, you know, seven years, 10 years, just, you know, keep working it, mm. keep. And that was just a huge, profound learning for me. Yes, yes. Uh, real quick, I want to make a note because the mind, you can't see the work that you're doing. And to do this work, you have to, first of all, believe that you can transform things. Because if you don't believe, why would you even continue to do the work? So there has to be that belief that you can do it. And then once you have that belief, you know, then you're doing the work, but you can't see it happening. So you have to have the patience, you know, to, to and, and that continual awareness to check in, to see what's going on, to see if you're actually uh, making changes. Um, so they're really important notes that, that you know, are part of you that, that are needed to do this inner work because you can't see it. It's invisible. Yeah, totally. And I would say, you know, <clears throat> meditation really helped a lot. So I took on all these different tools to try to heal this eating disorder, right? Mm -hmm. And meditation was one of them. I went to my first Vipassana retreat um, when I was 16. So that's a 10-day meditation retreat um, where you meditate for about 10, 10 or more hours a day. Um, and what I learned through meditation was that I could stay with my feelings, uh, which was, which was, you know, a, a very awakening talking about the awakening, very awakening process, because that was the thing that I had been running from was, was my experience and my emotions. And you know, that, that sensitivity. Yeah. Yeah, that sensitivity, you know, so high at a point, you just, you want to escape it. Um, and then in that meditation, you're sitting there and, and it's 10 days. Was it a silent meditation? <clears throat> Whoa. Was it a silent? <laughs> was, it a, <laughs> was it a silent meditation or was it a, um, was it just a 10 day, you know, a 10 hour a day meditation? 
silent. Yeah, in silence. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's not much instruction given in Vipassana style. You just kind of sit there with your stuff. And there was some kind of, you know, there'd be a few talks, like Dharma talks in the evening. Um, yeah. I wouldn't suggest it for a beginning meditation. No, no, no. <laughs> it's a little intense experience but it did open me up to the path um you know suddenly and oh this is interesting there's something to this right and then um what kind of got me on the buddhist path more was i yeah started to go and work with the shambhala lineage of buddhism which is a tibetan form of buddhism and um again you know as a way, as a form of therapy, I would say, self-therapy. Um, and a desire to, to, you know, be here now and enjoy my experience of life fully. And uh, the meditation path um, informs everything that I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that word informs, you know, if anyone's listening in, that's a key word in that sentence right there is informs. You're not informing. Uh, I mean, you're making decisions, you're manifesting. It's not like you're nobody, but there's, there's a different sense when you can release your judgments and allow something to speak. Yes, absolutely. Right. And, you know, we can talk about that a little bit too. Of, I feel like shadow work is is similar, right? It's kind of like this thing that informs your life. You don't. You, we think we have all this control, you know, and all this ability to to manifest everything. And I and you know, manifesting I do be, believe in, and I do work with clients around it and things like that. But it's like for me, manifesting is you bring the right ingredients together. Mm. Mm. Oh. But something has the ingredients it needs to birth. I got chills. That was good. So, yeah. So, so that's all you need. You just need the right ingredients. So once you bring the right ingredients, then it produces, you know, the result. Mm. Um, but the, the shadow work, you know, the unconscious, working with the unconscious, you can talk about it through the, the Vedic lens too, which is karma. Mm. And it's in Buddhism as well. I, I like to see karma as, you know, young, young recall shadow work um, because it is this, what is it? What is it? You know, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Right. That's, that's young. Exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so isn't that karma, you know, this thing that's directing your life that you know, we, we call fate or we call karma, right? But it's talking about the same thing, I believe. Yeah, oh yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So, how did I get out? Anyways, I don't even know how I got yeah. on that topic, but no, there's- you brought it up. Yeah, there's something that's directing our lives, you know? And I can see that when I look back about all these kind of teachers that kind of came, even the, you know, even nature, even <clears throat> the near-death experience, you know, the early pagan studies. And then, you know, Buddhist, I was led to the Buddhist retreat in high school through a friend who became a Buddhist nun. Mm. And so I felt like I've had these, like, you know, these, these things that come in 
and are like these, these threads, these little, you know, follow this golden thread, you know, this is, this is what's happening. Right. And, um, which is a beautiful surrender when we can see our lives in that way. So freeing. It's so freeing. Right. Like the eye that's working so hard all the time and making everything happen can just, just have a rest. Yeah. yeah. And, and, to, and to notice it, you know, that's why awareness and meditation, especially, is so important because awareness is like a muscle. I like to say it, it's something that could be developed and increased. And if you're working on your awareness through something like meditation, then you start to see some of these things. You start to make the connections and really open yourself out to. The, the objective sense of reality. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about with the silent meditations real quickly, not to, 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 to go back to that, but it's really important, I believe, is um, have you ever heard of incubation? No. So the ancient Greeks, Hermetides, uh, um, you know, like Apollo, um, that kind of thinking, they would write about how they would go to these, they call them incubation rooms, and they would and they would practice death, it, it being alive, but practice death where you don't move, you don't think, you just sit there for days. And they would have messengers meet them. Usually it was this woman or whatever it was, and it was them going to the world of the dead, to the underworld to bring back news that you know isn't really known in this world, or, or some kind of that you know, and, and some kind of uh, that philosophy, and you know, really reminds me of how powerful that silent meditation is because you can allow information to be processed through you without your judgments, without your consciousness. It's like a higher consciousness that's with you all the time, but when you're in ego mode, you're just stuck in that little bubble. So it kind of expands you outwardly when you practice that sort of meditation um, to hear things that you would never hear really exploring the unknown. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the main way that I connect and hear guidance for my life. Yeah. And yeah. usually, you know, with, if I do need strong guidance now, I'll pray first before I meditate. I'll ask, you know, even just saying, I don't know what to do right now. Mm. I don't know what to do. You know, that can be such, it's a, such a humbling thing to say because we always think we need to know what to do and that's how we're going to find our answer, right? But if you just say, I don't know what to do, please help me. You know, there can be some amazing guidance that comes through. And then you can, we can sit and we can meditate and we can wait for those messages. Mm. And that kind of pure guidance outside of the ego, I found is just very clear. It's the same, like I was saying when I was, you know, had that near-death experience and I was just watching without judgment. It doesn't have any judgment. It's not a, it's not a judgy tone. It's not a, this is good or that is bad. It's just a clear, this is the thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to describe. It's that's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just it's a sense. It's this inner sense. And I feel everyone has their own way. You know, like if my sense may feel different than yours, you know. Oh. Some people say they yawn when 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 something's coming to them. They like yawn before and then something hits them. There's all different 
you know, everyone has their own ways. So um, this is this is good stuff. Um, in the path of Buddhism, you know, um, what's maybe some philosophies or some thinkings that really, uh, you know, got you to, to a new state that really opened up your mind? Yeah, I, you know, my love for Buddhism really got strong when it when it was able to um, to really take me out of a, a depression that I was having in my um, mid twenties, mm. early mid twenties, and it was yeah one of those states where I was like I don't know what to do, I don't know how to get out of this, you know I, and I started reading and connecting with Pema Chodron's work who she is in the same lineage or was she stepped away from that but the Shambhala lineage of Buddhism that I was already um, meditating with and I started reading some of her books and they were just so real Mm. so um, so okay with the darkness so okay with um, she called it like destruction and I think that was an awakening piece for me that destruction was birth Mm. Um, and that you know that grief is love you know these like these contrary things that we're always experiencing in life but that you know one side we turn away from we go towards love we run away from grief you know we go towards birth and production but we run the other way from failure and destruction. Um, so then we don't know what to do with failure and destruction. Yeah. So then we, you know, the, I mean, there's so many reasons for getting depressed and whatnot and having anxiety, but that can be one of the results. We don't know what to do with this experience, right? So it just shuts us down. Just, I haven't been taught tools of how to make this workable. So I found through through Buddhist philosophy, you know, the the ability to work with those difficult things. And I really love, I mean, any any of my followers have heard me talk about Tonglen um, probably too much, but I love the practice. It's it's a traditional Tibetan breath practice where you breathe in the suffering, Mm. where you, you breathe in the darkness. So you actually do it, you know, you can say it's a pranayama, so breathwork practice. Instead of uh, working with our habitual patterns of aversion, right, and pushing those things away, we shift it to the opposite. So we breathe it in. So you can even, you just like, you would imagine you would see what your aversion is. So say it's grief. And it's like a dark cloud and you get really clear. Okay. It's a dark cloud. It's heavy. It's misty. It's cold. And then you go, okay, I breathe in that mist, breathing in that heavy, dark experience. And, and by doing so, you, you start to make it workable. You face that fear and it becomes more okay. Yeah. And then the, the, you know, the end of the, the practice is that you breathe out the medicine for it. So you breathe out, you know, joy or you breathe out light. So it's a two-way practice of taking in and um, breathing out 
and Pemetrosa calls it, you change your poison into medicine. Mm. And that is something, you know, that through Buddhist work has really helped me to understand that everything, and people hear me use that language too, and sometimes they're confused. What do you mean by medicine? You always use, you know, it's your medicine, right? But how can we make the challenges in our lives be our medicine? Because I do believe they truly are. Mm -hmm. So we turn that poison into medicine. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah. Real quick on the poison into medicine. I love that example, a good example, and it goes right into Buddhism is forgiveness. You know, when you can't forgive someone, you're just drinking poison, trying to hurt someone else, but you're drinking the own, your own poison and you're hurting your own body if you can't forgive. You have all this nastiness going towards them, a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, whatever's going on. But then once you start to forgive and you can forgive them, not for them, but for yourself, you sort of turn it into medicine. Uh, just It just popped up in my head. And I think that's a, you know, forgiveness is a huge philosophy in Buddhism. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and in Buddhism, we always work with the self first. So we, so we say, be, forgive yourself first, um, mm -hmm. which yeah, people, I think some people don't realize that, that all that, all the practices are do it with yourself first. And then the next step is then you extend it to your community. So that's, so that's also a huge learning for me in the, that study was that we have to do the work. We have to do the work. We can't bypass the work or else we won't be very effective with offering it to other people. We won't be very good, you know, collaborators in our community or family members or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So um, that also, I mean, gave me permission. I'll say that word, it felt like it gave me permission to do my self-growth work yeah. instead of seeing it as kind of a selfish, you know, yeah. millennial thing or whatever, you know, new age, Thing, it became this is a must my self-work is a must yes. so that I can be of better benefit to you know the community and to the planet and to my loved ones yeah, yeah. I mean one of my philosophies for climate change is if everyone did the work and, and you know was at a healthier state they wouldn't be throwing trash all over the place they want to pick a few things up and it's really on an individual level to to, to make a collective change absolutely Beautiful. We are flying by. Wow. <laughs> um, listen, I think we could talk for another maybe three days, but <laughs> yeah, I think so too. we'll try to wrap things up uh, with my fake microphone. Um, so, <laughs> um, through this process, um, you know, you, you decided to share a lot of the information, you know, and to help others. What was that process like? Because you've done the work now on your own. You've got yourself, like you said, that's number one. It truly is. And I hope, you know, people listening understand how important it is. Better you is a better us. Um, but then, you know, once you have yourself, now you're ready to serve in a sense. Um, so what was that process like for you? Well, it was, a, it was a knowing from a very young age. Like I remember the first time I realized, like, you know, that was my kind of path was, um, again, I was sitting in a pagan ceremony and <clears throat> I wasn't allowed to attend the ceremony because I was too young, but I was just sitting in one of the side rooms with um, one of the, one of the uh, pagan witches and she was just 
chatting with the, you know, me and my friend and she asked me, she sat me down and she said, so what do you want to do? And I was young. I was probably seven or eight. And, but it was one of those moments, you know, where like time stands still and, and everything becomes clear, you know, and you just, you're just present. Right. And I just said, I want to sit with people. Mm. And I had, I had no idea what that meant. And, you know, it, I didn't need to know. It was just, it was just, I didn't need to know exactly what job that would be, but I knew that that's what I needed to do was sit with people. So from the, from early age, that was kind of in me. I didn't know what that was entirely. And then I just had so much of my own work to do. Um, but my lifestyle became, you know, a yogic lifestyle. My lifestyle became a mindfulness path. So then I just couldn't do, you know, it became a therapeutic journey. So I just couldn't do anything else. Nothing else would have been authentic for me than to be of service to people with this, with teaching them the same tools that I had learned and studied and practiced every day. Um, and also the beautiful thing, you know, about um, Buddhism and the, the sh shamanic path too, is that, you know, which we haven't talked about, but that's fine, um, is that you offer, you offer your services. So you be of benefit. So that's always the next step. Um, and that just became really instilled of me. What, you know, it's such a waste. I felt it's a waste of life if you don't share, mm. you know, the information and the healing that you have. That kind of became this. That's my journey. I know that that's not everyone's journey at all, but it became very instilled in me, you know. And that for, that for me makes life have purpose. Mm. And, you know, that purpose is a reason for being here. And if we go in, you know, if we get really spiritual and we go down the spiritual path, sometimes we think, why am I human? You know, why am I, I just want to, you know, there's lots of teachings of how to awaken and how to enter into enlightenment. But the bodhisattva path, you know, you return and you offer, you don't ever leave. We don't ever leave and abandon our humanity. We always come back and offer our teachings to support others to find freedom. And you said that's the bodhisattva path? Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva? Yeah. Right. yeah. I love that. I really love that. I connect with that. It's, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Really beautiful. It, yeah. Um, I can send you some stuff on that too. But it's, it's a teaching that keeps your heart open. Yeah. And... Um, that's another, another teaching that of bodhicitta, of the awakened heart. So when I started to learn about the awakened heart of bodhicitta, and the, that heart is broken. So the, the teaching is that, is that you, you wake up so much that you feel, you feel the deep sadness of being human, which is the, the experience of, you know, continual loss. 
but also the experience of continual birth. Mm. So can we handle that? Mm. Can we build our courage and our bravery so much, you know, to stay awake for, for the reality of, of being here? Um, yeah. And I think as we do more and more, our life can become more beautiful and more of service with more of a purpose and a reason for being here. Yeah, especially coming from those dark places where myself and, and yourself included have been, um, you know, it feels great to, to taste that light and, and find that purpose. Um, really beautiful. This has been a wonderful conversation. I, I truly thank you for everything we shared. We're, we're definitely going to do another podcast. Um, we can definitely talk about <clears throat> some of the shamanic paths you said, uh, some, some shamanism. I love shamanism, so I would really be interested in that conversation. But uh, let's wrap things up with a few quick little questions, and then uh, we'll head on out into our day. So um, one of the things that keep me going, and, and you you speak on it all the time, is curiosity. Um, you know, and there's so many mysteries in life. And I'm wondering for you, you know, if you had the ability to get an answer to one mystery in life, mind, body, anything, what would that mystery be that you wish you had the answer to? Well, it's that's a hard one because um, I feel like it would just be to know the divine mm. even more closely. Yeah. I don't even know how that would be answered. But... <laughs> <laughs> Show yourself to me. <laughs> Billions of creatures show up. Too <laughs> much. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Second question. You have your own podcast. Um, Oh, usually I think of like a goofy name. Nothing hit me there. Uh, yeah. Ah, well, the Soul Entrepreneur Podcast. And you have the ability to interview three guests, dead or alive, fiction or nonfiction. So anything, anyone, any character for an hour. Who would you want to interview on your podcast? Oh, I'd love to interview the Dalai Lama. Mm. I think he's so... Uh, wise and profound, and also he's hilarious. <laughs> he is. <laughs> <laughs> so I just love to, yeah, love to laugh with him. <laughs> Two others are just the dolly. Oh, sorry. Did you say oh, sorry? <laughs> Some people only pick one person. <laughs> um, I think you were starting to interview him. You were already going into it. <laughs> <laughs> farting on a plane anyways um, <laughs> and <clears throat> yeah. I, yeah I would love I would love to interview people who are kind of revolutionary thinkers you know like Alan Watts would have been really cool guy um, to interview and just um, be entertained <laughs> by what he has to say in his mind. Um, I really, I really love Tara Brock and her teachings. She's a psychologist. She's a psychologist, psychologist and a Buddhist meditator as well. 
What's her name? Tara Brock. Tara Brock. Okay. She wrote uh, Radical Acceptance, and I can't remember what her new book is, but hmm. um, some really good teachings around that. And I'm trying to think of. I guess that's three people. Yeah, that's three. <laughs> I definitely want. You know, I definitely want to talk to Pema Children. Mm. Love to have her on. Um, mm. Matt Han, who is passed now, but he was a Zen Zen monk um, who got nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, wow. His teachings really inform a lot of the mindfulness stuff I do with clients. Um, and yeah, mm. really good teacher about um, how to find you know find peace. Hmm. Well. I was thinking you have the Buddha, but the, the whole studio would catch on fire with his flame. Right? <laughs> <laughs> flame. Um, all right, last question. <laughs> we'll uh, wrap things up. Um, so you have the ability to time travel and you can go visit an older version of yourself, maybe in depression, confusion, uh, lost. Knowing all you know today, all, all you've come to, what would you tell yourself in those moments? say you know this is part of your journey you know, don't undervalue it like that that darkness that depression or you know whatever you're struggling with right now is, is just as valuable as your you know big successes and wins are so so work it <laughs> get the most juice out of it that you can you know get curious about it what is it here to tell you you know um, open up to learning new ways to work with yourself, your body, your mind, and your spirit. Use that time. Use that time. I think those are precious incubation times. If you want to go back to that word, incubation, where we can um, we can grow insurmountably. Um, sometimes I believe that you know suffering is the biggest catalyst for growth, or can be the biggest catalyst for growth. Not to say that we need to suffer all the time at all or be in pain, but we do undervalue that experience. So, so just value it. See it as a precious, precious time. That's probably what I would say. Wow. Well, wonderful words. It's been such a beautiful podcast. And I'm sure, although people know you, you know, anyone that doesn't know you, <laughs> those people that listen that don't know you, um, anyone that doesn't know you, where can they find you? Maybe a little bit about what you do and then social media or website links. So you can find me on my website at www.sarahnorad.com. Um, you can find me on social media at sarah.norad um, on Instagram and Sarah Norad on Facebook. Um, I'm pretty active on there. We're both pretty active on there. Um, and I work one-on-one -on -one with clients. You know, I'm a certified professional life and business coach. Um, so I work with clients um, for their own breakthroughs and expansion and growth to heal and rise. And then I also lead wonderful groups too. Um, I have a six month um, women's group going right now. And uh, I just finished another, uh, leading another um, six week group on wealth consciousness. So I'm always doing cool new things. I'm gonna have a new offering coming out soon. I'm not gonna share what it's called yet, but it's very special and indicative to what I've been feeling is really needed right now and called by a lot of um, clients and people out there. So, and that's going to be a one-on-one -on -one coaching offering too. 
Well, unfortunately, I can't get the exclusive on that, but we got the exclusive on your story. We got such a great tale. We've talked about silence and then we talked about farting on an airplane came up at some point. I mean, we've really covered the wholeness of life, I believe, as much as we can in an hour. So, hey, Sarah, thank you so much again. We'll do it again. And I really appreciate you. It was a great conversation. Thanks, Joseph. Really appreciate you, too.